happy new year, everyone. Uh, I guess this is the first podcast of the year. So uh, I'm glad that, and I hope that everybody had a good holiday and a good time with their families and maybe dodged all the storms. I don't know, we're getting our share down here and they're just sitting here looking at the weather channel. We're gonna get another one right here a week after we got the last one. So who says it don't snow in Georgia? <laughs> but anyway, today on the podcast, I'd like to address the last article that I think was published in the December, January issue, which I think is pretty interesting. I've had a ton of phone calls about it. I've had a lot of conversations with training centers and with uh, OSHA CSHOs and, you know, a bunch of people. <laughs> and uh, everybody's just walking around scratching their head on this one right here because the, nobody's really sure because it's not covered by regulation. Um, you know, regulations, you know, OSHA regulations don't change very often. It takes 20 years sometimes to get a new page in the book, so to speak. So, and, and I, I just had a conversation with a friend of mine here. He's a, a compliance officer here in the region four. And uh, we just made the statement. And then I told him, I said, it takes an act of Congress or two or three or four <laughs> to get something changed in uh, occupational safety and health administration uh, rules, regulations. But this one has to do with uh, fiber optic cable uh, installed and maintained in supply space. The supply space means electric space. Well, if you look in the OSHA regulations, you have a maintenance standard, 1910-268, which is communications. And then you have our 1910-269, you know, for generation, transmission, distribution. And also you have 1926 construction standard that, that specifically deals with distribution and transmission. But there's nothing in there about fiber optics. Even there's a disclaimer or two, if you just pull out the OSHA regulations and start reading them, we have a disclaimer in there that, uh, and I'll just kind of paraphrase some of the material I'm sitting here looking at the article now, um, you know, for communication workers, 1910-268, telecommunications, minimum performance standards uh, required to work are also found in 1910-268 communication standards. These are uh, there is no 1926 construction standards. There's a disclaimer back in 1910.5C that says in, in 12A contains references to general industry construction regulations, which I think, if, in, in according to what my conversation with this local compliance officer was, which is really, you know, that's not an official opinion of OSHA, but it's how he said I would look at it, okay, if something were to happen. And I will tell you something now, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know who all is out there looking at this and listening, but, you know, from my point of view after last month, I'd be more worried about a tort liability, liability, a civil case, if somebody were to be injured by the families or whatever of the injured party if they were to get hurt doing that more so than the site of the OSHA citation, unless it's a catastrophic event, maybe a fatality or something. But uh, yeah, the, the, the case I had in December, I sat on a, I sat on a, on a, on a witness stand for almost eight hours one day. 
and actually read the labor law, the construction stand, I mean, the uh, OSHA regulations directly off of the, the website. And the jury still, <laughs> um, they ruled in favor of the plaintiff and gave him more money than he was asking for. So I'm not going to say any more about that. But, you know, my opinion to all that was that juries need to be trained to do a, a, a labor law case because it's, if, he, if it's dealt with emotion, you know, and empathy for the person that's injured, you know, that's the, the bottom line right now rather than the rule of law. So but let's look back here again. Under 1910-5C states, the particular standard is specifically applicable to the conditions, practices, means, method, and operation or process, and it shall prevail over any different general standard that may otherwise be applicable. So when you're looking at a task or an, a, 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 that's out there that's not covered by regulation, you know what it's going to fall back on it's gonna fall back on a 5A1 general duty clause. It is the requirement and the accountability of the, con the employer, if you will, to recognize hazards, train employees on hazards, mitigate the risk associated with them that basically could hurt them or kill them. So, and that's what everybody seems to come to the consensus to. Now, to actually do this work, the way it's being done right now. And I got several calls from different companies that are hiring contractors, okay, to, to install fiber. You know, they're within 12 inches of a secondary bus. Now, if you think about it, is that triplex or open route? You know, three or four spool rack, what voltage is it? Uh, you know, they put a, in the standard, they actually, Put a sentence in the standard in 1910269 A2C, uh, large 2I, I think it is, C2I. But it basically says the, the training shall be determined to the hazard and risk to the employee, to the employee, I mean. So what does that mean? <laughs> it means that the employer has to identify the, all the known hazards associated with the task at they're going to ask the employees to perform and they've got to train them for that task. And that includes everything. Well, it's in so many words, it's saying that I can task specifically train you to install fiber. Okay. But now you'll never be a lineman. You, you, you'll never put your hands on a hot phase, anything above 600 volts for sure. If you are, you're wrong. You know, I, I think because it takes four years to make a to get to a journeyman classification at the least in seven in some cases. And I don't think you can send someone to a training class in three or four days and have them safely perform in the work that a lineman would take much longer to do. Of course, now they're not going, they're not going to be out there putting their hands on hot primaries, but they're going to be in a space. They're going to be in the minimum approach. They got to have on the correct clothing. They got to have observed the minimum approach distances. Okay, the correct PPE and the correct safety gear. Uh, beware of arc flash requirements. Uh, where is that point at? To where if I'm working within 12 inches of an energized conductor, where's two cal centimeters squared at that would give me a you know a second degree burn on an unprotected part of my body? 
all of this, this criteria, if you will, or agenda of training that would have to be developed in order to task specifically train an employee, a communications employee. I mean, if they're already a 269 qualified employee, then it, it's, you know, there's no question. It's a done deal. They can cover it up. They can wear their PPE like they just like if they was working primaries or anything else and do it like it should be done. But if you ask somebody that's never done that before to do that, then there's a lot of training. There's, there's a lot of training and a lot of risk and a lot of liability to the employer to ask someone to do that. I'm, I'm convinced that uh, I'm not sure how this is going to work. I've had two or three uh, training companies tell me that they were going to put together a three or four day, four day program as a minimum to teach communication 268 employees to be in a 269 space and work. And I said, well, that's pretty cool. But, you know, it's just a tough pill to swallow. It really is. So, you know, and we covered a little bit of what's in the second part of the article right here, which employees can do the work. Like I said, 269, it's not a problem. 268, paragraph 1910, 268B6, B-boy 6, support structures states the following. No employees or any material or equipment may be supported or permitted to be supported by any portion of the pole structure platform, ladder, walkway, or other elevated surface structure and, or aerial device unless the employer ensures the, the support structure first is inspected by a competent person. There you go. So it's now stating competency requirements and determine it's uh, adequate, uh, strong enough and good enough condition and properly secured in place. So, you know, when you start putting cable on pole, that's fine. The pole's going to hold it up. The, the three bolt clamp or whatever the messenger, it's going to be attached to it. Or if it's a Kevlar uh, uh, fiber or if it's OPD, OPGW, whatever you're putting in place. Uh, of course, the conductivity of it, minimum approach, extended reach, all those things. What I, I think is called in 1910-269 is called existing conditions. And that's what's whether it's uh, even if you're working in transmission and you're pulling in something, what about induced voltages? You know, it's one of the greatest dangers that linemen face out there. Uh, it's, and they, many don't quite understand what induced voltages is, um, but basically it's not static. Like I think we've talked about this once before in another article or another podcast a while back, but you know, it, it is what it is. It is it's hazards associated with a task being performed. All right, first and foremost, the employer must and shall, okay, if you want to put it that way, identify all the hazards associated with them, provide the correct equipment, correct tools, correct training, all the things that needs to be done to make that person qualified, task qualified, to be in that 269 space. That's just where I have a lot of reservations, okay? So I'm, I'm really concerned about how well someone is qualified in a short period of time. Uh, 268 telecommunications employees undergo similar training. They do. I mean, you know, when you look at a communications employee, I've done uh, for, in my part of the world, it's AT&T, now Southern Bell, now AT&T. 
but you know if their messengers are grounded to our to the utilities down lead pole ground and we have an open neutral or somewhere and they open up that ground they're opening up a neutral and we know what that means you know you're getting serious with it you're going to have return neutral currents and it could be you know it could be fatal it wouldn't take much so they have voltage training minimum approach distance i mean in, in telecommunications you know a non-qualified person how far can you how close can you be to our space you know when you if you've been trained avoid contact with bare parts less than 300 volts wow what does that mean <laughs> how do you avoid contact stay below it reach up to it uh wear rubber gloves to prevent from accidental or inadvertent contact there's a lot of different ways you can avoid contact, but you got to cover all those in your training program. Uh, that's the that's the big thing. If you look at the National Electrical Safety Code, and you're looking at normal activities under 268 uh, communication practices, the distance between a utility energized conductor and communications cable, unless it's 120 volt streetlight wire that's in conduit going to a streetlight. It's got to be 40 inches from bolt to bolt on the pole, from clamp to clamp on a pole. Uh, I know that's probably one of the most violated parts of the National Electrical Safety Code there is, because a lot of times, you know, poles don't get changed out just to get space. I mean, I, I know there's, they should, but the fact of the matter is it's very expensive to change pole out. And if you only got 30 inches, you know, they say, well, that's enough. And you go on about your business. But you, if you really think about it, that's a, that's a very interesting uh, rule. Okay. But it's in the uh, National Electrical Safety Code, uh, separation between supply and communication conductors on a pole or a structure, not mid-span, but on a pole or a structure. Utility companies are asking contractors now to install the fiber as much as four inches. I had one company say, well, we're putting it four inches below the secondary. And that's when I said, well, is that a open route secondary or is that duplex, triplex? Is it quarterplex? Is it 277, 480? What is it? Four inches. Didn't we just say avoid contact at 12, at 12 inches, 300 volts or below? <laughs> well, there's a lot of there's a lot of things in here that's ill-defined and and it, and it should cause a lot of concern and uh, a lot of thought to the training of someone that you're going to ask to go into the 269 space to do 60, 268 work. If they're not truly a 269 qualified A2 qualified employee, uh, then there's a lot of training. It's got to go on in there somewhere, okay, to make them in there. Um, in the 268 standard, the communication paragraph C training states, employees shall provide training in the various precautions and safe work practices described in this section. Well, now that's ill-defined again and described, and it's by design because there's many, many things that would have to go onto that list, just like we've been talking, induced voltages, energized conductors. Of course, you know, again, too, you hire somebody off the street, with no experience in communications or distribution and transmission, then you gotta start ground up, you know? Here we go with fall protection, PPE, everything that goes along with all of the, the things that we have to do to provide 
services in either one of those. Now, it's 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 really it's really something to think about here uh, about the just the sheer sheer amount of training. I mean, you know, I, I maintain a, a list <laughs> of things that uh, linemen need recurrent training in or refresher training in. It's not a one-time, one-stop shop. Uh, initial and then recurrent training has got to occur. Okay, um, so that's you know that is what it is. Now, if it's someone with some experience in 269 work and you're going to hire them to do 268 work or the fiber work, then there's, there's, uh, there was a, a paragraph or two put in 1910-269-A3 and A4. A3 was never in the standard prior to 2014. Neither was A4. It was only went up to A2, the training to qualify someone. And that is, if you're going to hire somebody with previous experience, you, they can bring their training records if you got them, which that don't very hap happen very often, okay? Or you can give them a test. Uh, you can interview them. Then you can give them a written test uh, to you know, ask certain questions about the, the hazards associated with these kinds of jobs. And then if they pass the muster on the interview and the written test, then the standard now allows us under the 1910-269 A2 and A3 standard to closely supervise and observe till the employer can declare that employee qualified, unquote. So there is a way if you know you hire hire somebody with previous experience, but if they have zero experience, you got to start from ground up. It's as simple as that. Uh, also, uh, let's see. In here, I'm, I'm going to say, of course, the the 269 A2I suggests all employees performing work covered by the section, and that is all is pretty inclusive. Okay, shall be trained and fun. It, it, as follows, each employee should be trained and familiar with safety-related work practices, safety procedures, and all these are ambiguous by design, okay? Uh, other safety requirements of this section, the program, his or her job assignments may, may require. Each employee shall also be trained and familiar with other practices, such as uh, applicable emergency procedures, pole and bucket rescue, if you will, or either underground permit required confined space rescue, enclosed space. They can't, you can't have enclosed space in 269 work. That's only for, or 268 work. That's only for 269 work. If it happens to be a fiber in a manhole, no such thing. It's gotta be 1910-146 permit required. So in this last sentence, the degree of training shall be determined by the risk of the employee for the hazard involved. That is the sentence that was probably, I, I understand, was lobbied by contractor association and then independent contractors and even uh, utility companies. Because if somebody in the under the standard of the 94 standard, if they were not qualified to be in a space like a substation or anything else, they would have to be escorted by an A2 qualified person. And that was burning up a lot of time, money, resources. And they said, well, can we task qualify these people to do certain things? Environmental reclamation, uh, vegetation management, you know, any kind of work 
to where they could actually um, be trained specifically in those areas and work safely in those areas. So, but that one sentence was added. It really was the neat thing about that standard. And like I said, it was, it was, it was solicited by many different entities at the, at the table, you know, at the stakeholder tables and meetings prior to the 2014 update. So don't forget, you know, you're in an elevated position, you're using probably a non-insulated uh, boom truck or, you know, whether it be a, uh, whether it be a work platform or whether it be a bucket truck or a JLG, and, you know, just saying, if it rotates and elevates and it's extendable, it's 191067. So you got to have bucket rescue. You got to have all of those things. I still think that the, the greatest hazard would be the electrical hazard, the minimum approach distances and everything else. And I, just before I came on the air to do this podcast, I talked to one of my friends here and uh, at the fourth in region four and he's CSHO. And he told me, he says, there's nothing out there that's going to actually cover specifically the installation and maintenance of fiber optics in a supply space. It's not, if it's there, I don't know where it's at. Somebody needs to show it to me. I, you know, I couldn't find it and then they can't find it either. So, you know, your fall back on the 5A1 general duty clause is the bottom line. So it, just remember that. And if you come up with a you know, I, I always, I've told everybody I've talked to, you need to come up with a training agenda, you know, and identify the hazards associated with what that employee is going to do, whether it's, you know, whether it's in a substation, whether it's on transmission structures, whether it's on distribution poles, whatever it is, you know, they have to follow the minimum approach distance of the standard on energized parts. Uh, and especially if they get within the minimum approach distance on anything over 600 volts, they've got to be two qualified or task qualified people there familiar with construction, rescue, first aid, CPR, safety trained, everything. So you, you see how complicated it can be. Um, I hope that somebody will come up with a really good training program for it. I have an idea of what it looks like. Uh, I've actually done some task specific training for other companies not to do fiber work so much as to do vegetation management and do uh, do environmental reclamation, oil spill cleanup, things like that in substations. So I know it's very possible to do, but the, the difference of what I've been doing in the past and now is where you're working and you're working within extended reach of energized parts, okay? And that's going to require a lot more training. So uh, with that, I'm going to close out for today. And maybe we'll pick this up and carry it a little bit further down the line. The next time we talk uh, in, in probably the next week or so, we'll be doing another podcast. And if I find out any more information that's out there in the, in the, uh, in the industry, in the training world, I'll be glad to share it with anybody that wants it. If you have any questions in the meantime, just give me a call directly or email me directly, rainsafety at gmail.com or you know, my phone number. I think uh, uh, Curtis is gonna put all that contact information in the podcast. And uh, 
it's good talking with everybody again and I'm looking forward to another very busy year. So just get ready and be ready, be safe. It looks like we're gonna have plenty of weather opportunities and I can't begin to tell you how, how much I want you to be safe and take care of one another out there. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. God bless and see you soon. Thank you for joining us for this episode. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, go to incident-prevention.com slash podcasts to get more. Or search Incident Prevention wherever you get your podcasts from. Until next time, stay safe.